Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Allison Atkins, a retired Army judge advocate and currently working with U.S. Bank. Yes. Allison Atkins, who's with U.S. Bank. So, Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. So, Allison, 20 years in the Army? I did 20 years in four days. If we're counting. Where did you go to law school and when did you come into the Army? I came into the Army in 2000 and did four years as a military police officer and then went to law school on the Army sign at Temple University in Philadelphia. And I assume in looking at your profile, you did a little bit of everything, just like we all do in the Army? Yeah, I did, but really ended up more in the prosecution side after about six years of practice. You did that for 20 years, four days, and then you decided to get out and went on to Capital One. So take us through that process. Yeah, you know, at about 18 years, I thought about where I was in my career and what I wanted to do for the rest of my working days. And I decided that was the time for me to really pull the trigger and get out. I had already had a sense that every year that I was going to stay in the army beyond my 20 years was going to be a detriment to me. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean, hey, ageism is real. There are a lot of young folks out there trying to get jobs. And every year that I remained in the army and I was doing less law was going to hurt me. So I, I pulled the trigger. My husband and I were both in the army, both JAGs. We decided to stagger retiring, which worked out pretty well for us. And around 2018, I really made the decision and, and broadcasted that decision to my manager, to the JAG Corps um, and said, I'm, I'm retiring. And it was right before the um, assignment cycle. So as you look at what you do now or what you did after your first job with Capital One, not only is it nothing that you did in the Army, uh, business related, but it seems nothing you really touched as far as staff judge advocate or judge advocate wise, the, like, for example, the cyber. So how did you yep. make that jump into all those areas like information assurance, cyber governance, yeah. and risk management? Yeah, so it was... It was an interesting jump. And I will say that Capital One hires on potential and not necessarily on your experience. And my hiring manager and my manager for two years there, she said, any smart attorney can learn the law. We just want somebody who's going to be a great teammate, who's smart, who's going to really take the opportunity to learn that law. And I was able to at least have a tiny bit of an argument that I belonged in that space because of the digital prosecution work I did. There was a little bit of hook. So it, a lot of it was luck, but the first job in Capital One was not necessarily as technological focused as some of the cyber jobs are. It was really risk management and advi- advising the business line and looking at policies and making sure that our policies are aligned with the regulations and the laws. So that was really a lot of what all JAGs do. So it was easy in that aspect. 
there was some technology that I did have to learn that I'm still learning, but that and for cyber lawyers, it's not necessarily, you're not writing code. You're not looking at code. You're not having to be the expert on technology and cyber. That's why you have your business line. They can help you. It is not a far-fetched leap for anybody who has any interest in that to get into the field. Yeah, you know, terms like risk management and compliance. I mean, we don't call them those things in the service, but how easy did you find that transition, like those areas particularly, mm-hmm. but other ones as well? It's a similar process, maybe just a little less formal. So in the Army, we look at the laws, we look at the regs, we write a written opinion, we provide that to the commander, we provide that to whoever and give our best advice. In the two companies I've worked for, it's the same thing. It may be just a little more fast paced, maybe. You hear an issue, you have a question, you research it, you bounce it off the regulations. Now in cyber, there's not a whole lot of law. So you really have to use a lot of your best judgment. But again, we did that all the time in the army. And Usually not a lot of written opinions. There are lots of phone calls, emails, nothing really in a memo format. In my experience, that could be different for others. But it's the same thing. It's you're using your best judgment. And I specifically remember there were areas of law in the Army that were not as solid as I would want. You just use your best judgment. And I think people appreciate that. How did you come to focus on Capital One as the area you wanted to target or the business you wanted to target when you were leaving the Army? So a little plug for financial institutions. Financial institutions love bets. And anybody who has ever done any command work for a BJA, for a commanding officer, they will fit in great at a financial institution because we are so highly regulated. And that is an easy transition. When I first started doing my transition work, I spoke to some folks who were in financial institutions and they echoed that. They're like, yeah, this is great for for JAGs. And that has borne true for me in two companies. So I knew that was one of the areas where I was interested. It was not the only area I pursued, but I'm very glad that it worked out that I did start out in a financial institution because I don't think I'd ever go back. And it really is the idea that it's it's like a working for a division commander almost. It's it's so regulated and the regulators have their eye on you all the time and you just want to keep your boss out of trouble. So very similar. So that's why I think vets do pretty well in FIs. Yeah. I mean, I see things like securities and exchange commission filings. You're like, wow, that sounds yeah. highly technical, but I'm hearing it's because yeah. of the regulation, it's not that big of yeah. a deal. SEC filings, the attorneys look at those too. I'm a, I look at the cyber risk filings for our SEC disclosures and I'm involved in the cyber, the, there's a rule that's under development regarding disclosures to investors. I've been involved in the advocacy for that. So it's just, I mean, it's what we do. It's just a different place. How big of a ramp up did you have? And, and related to that, did you have a support network within the business world within Capital One to help you get up to speed? I had a I had a relatively short ramp up, but I also had a runway that was very long. So it's not expected in, in the companies I've worked, there is a, a time period where everyone knows you just got there. And this is not just vets, this is everyone. So you come in your first day, you play the new guy card. You're still playing the new guy card six, nine, 
probably can stretch that out to 12 months, depending on how big your company is. You say, I, I still say I'm relatively new here. And I can say that, <laughs> I can say that honestly, I've been here for eight months, I'm still relatively new. So the ramp up was short. So they expect you to really get, get into things quickly, but the support you have over the next year or so, if it's a company that values training their new employees and supporting their new employees, they're going to give you a lot of time to be able to have that. Okay. I need to reach out to these other people. I need my manager's help here. And the manager should be expecting that and should encourage that for at least 12 months. But the ramp up, I mean, they expect you to get in and really start taking over, especially when you're coming in to fill a, some sort of a position that they've been waiting to fill for months. They need somebody. Speaking of runway, you said you put the army on notice that you were going to leave. You're going to retire. Yeah. What was the runway like going from army to Capital One? How far out did you apply? Was yeah. it waiting on there? Those kind of issues. I applied. See, I had a very weird timeline because COVID was just happening. So I started look seriously looking at jobs in December of 2019, January of 2020. I had my retirement date picked out. I applied to my Capital One position about 90 days before they really needed someone. And they said, we go a little slow. So that's an indicator. So 90 days, and that's with a holiday thrown in. And they're saying they go a little slow. My US bank job from my initial interview to my start date was, I think, 40 days. And I think that's a lot more typical. So I actually had to bump up my retirement date to be able to take the position, which was really stressful because I didn't know if they were going to do it. And it makes me think, well, maybe there's something wrong with the way the services do their retirement planning to lock somebody into something a year out when they don't know. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't support service members. If you're going to say you can't take this job, that's going to be great for you and your family because your paperwork says 30 days earlier, or 30 days later. So anyway, that's a question that's great to talk to recruiters about is how, how long is that? What's the hiring timeline? What are we looking at here? It depends on what they, what point in the year it is, whether there's a holiday thrown in, whether they really need to fill a position, lots, you know, lots at play there. How did you find this job? Was it a posting? Was it someone in your network? When I first started thinking about getting out, I was sitting in the Pentagon and I had gone to some sort of maybe webinar or something, maybe an in-person thing back then. And people kept talking to me about networks. I'm like, well, I don't even have a LinkedIn. I have zero network. I should probably get on that. So probably late 2018, and this is two years before I actually retired, I started thinking, okay, where do I want to live? What companies are there? Do any of them interest me? Am I qualified for any of these jobs? Do I want to work in the government? And I just started building my network very slowly. And my hiring manager who hired me for Capital One, she was maybe my second person I reached out to. I, I, I found her on LinkedIn. I knew Capital One was a big employer. I thought this looks like a fun place to work. I'd love to talk to somebody there. And she happened to be a Naval Academy grad who then drove ships for a while, got out, went to Stanford Law School, and then came in and was at a firm for a while and ended up at Capital One. But she was like willing to talk to me. So we made a connection way, way in advance. 
I was so far out. It really, truly was. I just really want to know what you do and you know, what your company does and how you got there. And we, we, we just kept in touch over 18 months and I was monitoring every single job board out there. There's hmm. goinhouse.com, LinkedIn. I had all the alerts out for within the specific companies too, because sometimes they don't, not all of those postings hit all of those areas. And one of the positions popped up, I wrote her and I said, do you know who the hiring manager is for these three attorney positions in cyber? And she's like, yeah, it's me. And she's like, you should, you should apply. So that's how I think just with a little bit of luck that I knew her and she liked me and she knew what I was doing and she thought I'd be a good fit. That's how I got into it. And, it, and I kind of think back to that and say, if I had not had such an, an empathetic and veteran friendly hiring manager, I don't know what I'd be doing now because she really got my, she helped me get my foot in the door. And she, even during the interview process, she said, we, we look for potential because that was one of my questions was, I don't, I don't know a lot of this stuff. And she said, I know you don't, but that's okay because we're going to teach you. So a little luck. Well, and it just takes one is what it drives home. Yeah, Uh, it really does. When you were focusing on this job and when it started Mm -hmm. to come to that, there's going to offer there. Was the compensation, were you surprised? Were you think it was spot on to where you, in the zone you thought it was going to be? For the audience, educate them about, you know, going from the the military salary, which is public record and standard to making your own way in the business world. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting question. And before I I answer that, I do want to tell you, I I got a soft job offer to go work on the Hill before I took this job. And I had no interest in that, but partially because the guy who offered me the job said, we don't pay very well, but you have your military retirement. So that'll supplement you and you should be making about what you're making now. And I thought about that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like that, I, why would I ever do that? And you know, granted people do that all the time, but I was almost offended by him saying that like, here, I know what, I know you're making a military retirement. So we're going to just lowball you because that's all we can do. So that happens. And that was shocking to me. So going into Capital One, I talked to the recruiter about salary band. I should have done it earlier. I talked to her about salary band. I knew generally where I was going to hit. At the time, Capital One was not a pay, a comp leader. They still really aren't, but they've gotten a lot better. But uh, she told me kind of what the band was and they base it on experience and location. What I didn't do, and I, I kind of wonder if I should have done though, is negotiated for my salary a little bit. I was so happy to have an offer and the full comp package that I just accepted it. And I didn't know that somebody can negotiate that. I kind of knew that, but I just felt a little bit too grateful to get a job offer that I just said, sure, sounds great. I'll take it. And I think back and wonder if back in 2020, if I could have gotten a little bit more money. So that's just something to think about. One one of my regrets, I don't know if I could have gotten too much more, but who knows? It's also a cultural difference. We don't have to do that. And so the idea of, I talk to other people, they give you or offer you a pile of money. You think, wow, that meets my requirements or that gets me, what gets my foot in the door that you don't think about hey, is this the best that I can do? How did you approach your resume for capital? I mean, obviously yeah. you had a contact in your network that was there and said you should apply. 
but that resume has got to be seen by other people. That resume is going to go up against other resumes. How did you approach yours? I had a different resume for every single job I applied for, which was incredibly stressful because every time I would change it, I would be terrified there would be spelling mistakes in it or formatting errors. But that one, I looked at the job description and looked for the specific language in the job description and made sure that was in my resume somewhere in an authentic place. It wasn't just like, I don't know if you ever watched Friends. There's this one Friends with Joey. <laughs> it's just the thesaurus and it's like totally ridiculous. I didn't want to have this Joey Tribbiani thesaurus type resume that just had these phrases thrown in there to try to get past the automatic screening thing. Well, I mean, I didn't know it, but I was already beyond that. I was talking to a recruiter, but I really wanted to make sure that the resume they saw and they bounce off the job description fit. And I was able to do that because the job position was really a lot of risk management. It was regulatory compliance. It was statutory compliance. It was advising a big enterprise and researching novel areas of law. And of course, every JAG does all of that. So it was an easy edit to get that resume to fit the job description. Some of the other ones were a little bit more challenging, especially when I didn't have the hard skills. And I never wanted to have a resume that was just so obvious that I was unqualified for the job. So I just tried to be authentic. So you did that job at Capital One for two years mm -hmm. here in the Northern Virginia area, and now you're out West. What was the motivation or the driving factor in leaving DC to going back yeah. to Colorado? I got a new job that was fully remote and my husband's position with AmeriCorps is fully remote. He's the appropriations attorney for AmeriCorps. So we bumped up our plans. And I think the fact that I was able to quit my job at Capital One, it gave two weeks notice after I got the offer from US Bank that was fully remote my job, was working at U.S. Bank, and two weeks after that, it kind of made me think, okay, this was 100% the right decision to leave the Army, and I'm not, I feel like I'm like the anti-recruiter for staying in, but <laughs> the flexibility that we were able to bump up our plans, which were really going to be, let's stay in Northern Virginia until the kids are out of high school, there was nothing keeping us there anymore. My headquarters is in Minneapolis, and Andrew's agency got rid of two floors of their DC office building. So we're just like, let's just do it. Let's go. Who knows how long this is going to last for? We just need to pull the trigger now and, and start our life somewhere else fully remote. That's what we did. We just were like, it's now or never. That must've been a big culture shock of, I'm just giving my two weeks notice and I'm moving on. So <laughs> it was interesting. I've never experienced anything like it. I've never, and I don't think that people who don't, serve in the army feel this deep sense of guilt in saying I'm quitting but it's kind of part of life you work somewhere and if you get a better job and you want to take a risk and leave you leave and people just say thank you we appreciate it here are the tasks you need to do before you leave we're all very sad to see you go and then they open up a new wreck and then that wreck gets filled so then it's wow. just it's just churn and pretty liberating to say, you know what? I don't know if I'm ever going to get promoted in this job. So I think I'm just going to leave. So that made me really kind of feel kind of powerful. So Allison, that's your personal work 
story, your life yeah. journey, as far as your profession. But I also understand that you're pretty big in the military transition process yourself. I am. So yeah. tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. So this is not necessarily. This doesn't really have a lot to do with JAGs or transitioning lawyers. It's just the idea that you go somewhere and you find your tribe and you help your tribe out. And when I started out at my first job, I gave it a few months. And then my manager, who I've spoken about a little bit here, she became the national co-lead for the Veterans and Military Business Resource Group, which is across all of Capital One. She led all of the efforts in engagement and recruiting and celebrations. I mean, it was a pretty big deal. So I got involved in that. She's like, you should, you should be on one of these national positions because they need people. And I think you'd be good. So I started becoming active in that role. And it was really the role I had at Capital One. It purely, all these are volunteer roles, by the way, this is, and this is pretty much across the board. Every big company has these, and they're all people who are doing their other work and they just volunteer because they actually are passionate about this. I was the national community engagement lead. So that was basically making sure that all of our chapters were getting the support they needed and doing their own chapter specific work that they were, every chapter was a little bit different. I was also involved in our national events that we were doing. And in US Bank, I again said, I just got here. I don't want to overload my plate too much. I know this is my tribe. I know I want to help. So about six months in, I applied to be the chief of staff for their board. So all of the business resource groups, these are all the diversity inclusion groups. They all have a global board and I'm a member of that board. Right now I'm in the chief of staff. I wanted to come in as a, in a less strategic role just because I'm still pretty new. And I don't know how long I'll be the chief of staff, but I hope to continue to serve on the, the global board. But I mean, it's just, people are really passionate about veterans in their organizations and families and spouses in the organization. And I just think it's really good to be able to help out those groups. If, if able, sometimes you're not able to, maybe your assistance is more occasional and not as regular, but they all exist. And there's just a really big need to elevate that work. So I'm a couple months into the chief of staff role, still getting used to it, but I mean, it's just really rewarding. It's a way to give back because I think we're, I feel pretty fortunate that I'm a veteran working at US Bank and I want other people to be able to have those same opportunities. And I want the veterans who are at US Bank to feel like they're supported. I think that's really key, especially with so many reservists and guardsmen across the country. They need to feel supported. So that's where I am now. And I'm pretty happy with that. That sounds great. So you taught you taught us one lesson, which was, in hindsight, you wish you would have thought about a little bit more about the negotiating salary. Is there any other lessons that you learned that you wish you knew going into this and would pass on if someone that came to you for mentoring as they left the JAG Corps? I was a little surprised that nobody asked me to stay. And I mean, this is me being totally frank. I wouldn't have stayed, but it was almost as if I just got written off as soon as I told them that, told them I was leaving. And I thought to myself, wow, okay. I just gave 20 years of my life and nobody's even going to say, hey, here are some options. And it was a little strange to me because I was thinking, okay, you have a senior attorney who's a female 
your retention rates are not great for women. No one's really going to talk to me about this. So I guess my lesson for this may not be for Jags who are getting out, but maybe Jags who are still in, maybe talk to the person who's getting out and say, why are you leaving? And is there anything we can do to keep you here? Because I'll tell you what, Capital One told me that. We had that discussion in, in a private sector job, and I just don't know why we don't do it in the high court. That was interesting to me. And then I guess my next lesson is don't listen to people who tell you that you're wasting your time trying to do something that's outside of the box. I cannot tell you how many people told me that I was wasting my time applying to private sector jobs because I was not qualified. And it was all well-meaning, but I didn't believe them. And I continue to see examples of vets and JAGs getting hired from either straight from the JAG Corps or with a little, some sort of two or three year gig outside of the JAG Corps. So I know it's not true. And I, had I not been as motivated to do this, I think I probably would have listened to them and say, hmm. Maybe I shouldn't be doing, maybe I am wasting my time. Maybe the fact that I've put out a hundred resumes and gotten 10 rejections and the rest have been ghosting me, maybe that's an indicator, but I don't think that's just Jags. I think that's everybody. I think that's everyone who is a normal person who's trying to apply for jobs. So I would just say, be confident in your own ability to do what you want to do and go for it because I think you will eventually get the job you want. Well, you, what I'm hearing from you is the army truly goes rolling along. Yeah, it does. It does. So does private sector. I mean, again, yeah. two weeks and then your, your position is filled and you see it on LinkedIn. You're like, oh, okay. That is fabulous. Allison, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your perspectives and your experience in sharing that because we're trying to do just that, which is, you know, pass it along to those of us that are still wearing the uniform, at least in name anyway, and will one day be following you out the door. So I appreciate your time of sitting down with us for this podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And uh, if any listeners have any questions or want to make any connections, they are free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.